Relations Committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and I am riding solo today. My trusty co-host Connor Cornelius could not make it. We will see him again soon. Uh, see him as early as next week. But for right now, I am joined by a fantastic guest, Barbara Sherris, director of programming at the Gene Siskel Film Center. One of our favorite, favorite, favorite places to go see movies. Uh, you probably saw us when we gave intros to Banana Season and also Rendezvous in Chicago over there at the Gene Siskel. We've been so lucky to be there and uh, be part of that. We're going to be talking about a great event coming up. It's the 22nd annual, that's right, 22 consecutive years, uh, Chicago European Union Film Festival. It's going to be presenting 60 premieres from 28 EU nations, and it's all going on uh, March 8th through April 4th. So you got a lot of time to go see a lot of movies from all across the European Union, which, you know, if you are not a foreign film person, you're looking to get into foreign film, this is a great way to jump in. So uh, let me, uh, again, introduce Barbara Sherris, Director of Programming. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be with you to talk about the festival. So as I said, this is the 22nd annual, 22 consecutive years. I got to congratulate you on that, Barbara. That what an amazing run. Well, you know, um, maybe, but, you know, the Film Center is now in its 47th year of public programming. So in three years, we'll be celebrating a 50th anniversary. So in relation to that, 22 doesn't seem like so long, but (laughs) you're you're right. It's It's a good run so far. Well, I'm sure we'll see 22 more and another 50 years of the Film Center because you guys spend so much time expertly curating the films that you show at... Uh, at the center, and um, this is curating a film festival has got to be a lot of difficult work. Well, all of the programming uh, for the festival, in fact, all of the programming for the film the film center year round is done by myself and my programming colleague Marty Rubin, and. Um, because the, the European Union Film Festival is the largest of our special projects, we work on it on and off throughout the entire year. Um, but all that is interspersed with, you know, we, we still have the constant monthly deadlines. We have to, you know, put out a monthly schedule every month where we have screenings seven days a week, all, you know, all month long, all year round. And so um, we're, we're constantly juggling the special projects like this and our Black Harvest Film Festival with the month programming but um, you know for for research for instance uh, I usually start the you know uh, headlong into the research for EU at the Cannes Film Festival in May where uh, I see you know very large number of films from all over the world but with particular interest in anything from any of the EU the 28 EU nations and uh, that sort of kicks off the process but um, throughout the year, I will be researching films with, uh, you know, going back to contacts that I've made over the years uh, with producers and sales agents in Europe, 
um, you know, uh, ministries of culture, uh, individual filmmakers. Uh, sometimes a filmmaker who we featured in a previous year may not have a, a new film himself or herself, but because, you know, we've formed a relationship on- online at least, I can go back to them and say, hey, is there, um, you know, any colleague, anyone in your nation that, uh, you know, a film that you've seen uh, that you particularly recommend that you think I should uh, look into? And so, um, you know, it's it's really for Marty and me, it's about, you know, the relationships that you've formed over the period of time that you've been programming the festival so that you're calling on your different contacts and uh, getting screener, preview screeners for films. And, you know, of course, we look at a vast number of, of European films, new, new productions, to make a selection of 60. So, um, you know, it's really a long process of, of um, you know, from each nation kind of surveying what the, uh, the new production is, uh, seeing a certain number of the films, narrowing it down to the ones that you're going to go after, and then it's also a negotiation. It's not really a, uh, always an easy thing. You can want a film, and it may not be available for one reason or another, or the the fees that the producers want are too high. So, you know, it's it's a back-and-forth process that just goes on and on. And it's it's one of those things where it's, uh, I'm trying to think of the old adage, you know, you never want to see how sausages are made because it's a lot of putting together so many different things and having to uh, come up with a product that it seems effortless, where it's like, oh, yes, of course there are 60 films from the EU that would be available to show. But you and Marty are putting in an immense amount of time to pare it down to the best of the best and trying to make, yeah, as you said, the negotiations, make the relationships so that you can get these films shown. Uh, one of the most exciting statistics about this film festival is that 22 of the 60 films this year, that's over one-third are directed or co-directed by women. Now, off the off the mic, you told me that over the years there have been many films uh, directed or co-directed by women in this specific film festival. But this is the most you've ever had, right? That's right. And, um, you know, we, um, every year we're very conscious of, of trying to represent women directors because they are so underrepresented in festivals and venues th- throughout the world. But this year, I, you know, everyone's asking us, you know, did you really make this extraordinary effort to get these films by women? And the funny thing is, I have to say, this year of all years, it was almost effortless. I mean, there's so many women working and who are, you know, getting opportunities that they didn't have before in all of the European countries. And so it's like these films were out there. And, you know, as far as our selection process goes, it's always about the film first. We don't we don't start with an uh, agenda and say, well, you know, we've got a quota for films by women or we've got a quota of film for films on a particular subject or whether documentary or fiction. You know, we go after the films that we think are the best films. But amazingly, you know, 22 of those films were directed by women. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't even a stretch to, to make that happen. Well, and I also think it speaks just the fact that this happened without having to, like you said, set a quota shows that we're kind of in this moment where uh, a lot of diversity of voice, a lot of diversity of opinion is happening all around the world in cinema. 
And really, it's just a boon to the viewer, a view to a uh, boon to the audience, because now we're really getting to see some really diverse things, things that we haven't seen in cinema before, some more diverse narratives, things that uh, are, are outside of maybe our own experience. And I want to hone in on that a little bit, because for me, one of the exciting parts about watching foreign film is uh, taking myself out of a particular paradigm. So as many people my age, I grew up watching Hollywood films, blockbusters, the standards, the classics, all that kind of stuff. But I really didn't get into foreign film until I was in about my late teens, early 20s. And I've, I couldn't believe that I hadn't uh, opened myself up to this world before. And I think part of it was because uh, there weren't a lot of foreign films shown in the theaters that were around me growing up, but also because it seemed a little strange to me to have to sit and read a movie. Um, and granted, that is a very uh, uh, puerile sort of criticism, but sometimes that's something people tell me. They say, well, I'd like to watch this French film. I'd like to watch this uh, Russian film, but I don't really want to have to pay that much attention and read while also having to watch the uh, what's happening on screen. But I wanted to get your opinion, Barbara, on why is it so important for uh, people in the United States to watch foreign film and to expose themselves to that world of cinema? Well, um, what, you know, it, it's well known in the film industry that, uh, uh, you know, Americans in particular have a strong resistance. I'm talking about the larger, the larger culture, the, you know, the greater population have a great resistance to foreign films, just as they do have a great resistance to, you know, a lot of, a lot of elements of, of foreign culture because it's unfamiliar. And, um, you know, for people who haven't seen a foreign film before and haven't read subtitles, uh, I think there, there are misconceptions about that it, somehow that it's hard. And it's like, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's like that whole thing about can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Well, you know, I mean, uh, if, if someone sees a foreign film for the first time, they suddenly realize, oh, wait a minute, it's no big deal. It's not like you're sitting there reading a book and you're also trying to watch the screen at the same time. It just becomes kind of automatic. And um what what i would really love people to to realize if they haven't been consumers of foreign films is that films from all these other nations are every bit as exciting as entertaining as funny as serious as as what you want to see as what you've been absorbing through you know domestic product through hollywood films uh, in fact, sometimes much more entertaining and interesting and unusual than, uh, you know, the same old stuff that you're getting through the, uh, you know, the theater at the mall. And, uh, you know, I, I have experienced because Marty and I are in this business for, you know, quite a long time. You know, we, we constantly run into people or talk to patrons who have made that discovery and they're like, wow, I didn't know. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it really makes us feel like we have, you know, sort of, you know, mission accomplished in a certain way one person at a time when they realize that you know here's this great stuff that i didn't know about and you know it's all here for me to see yeah and it really uh gets you out of 
your uh your as you mentioned out of the domestic product i really like that and um you know i got to uh, the first really foreign film i watched was uh jean-luc godard's breathless and that was a real doozy to start with because not only is it in a different language its cinematic language is so jarringly different from what i expected and maybe it was for the best because it prepared me for the diversity of vision and uh, and voice that you find in foreign film. And for seeing any of these movies, you know, sometimes folks think like, oh, how am I going to relate to this? How is this going to make sense to my life? And while the situations are different, I feel like a lot of cinema still points to certain universal themes just from a different perspective. It still talks about... You know, the the big grand ideas of love and death and, you know, what does it all mean? And you, you're going to find that in either American films or foreign films. It's just going to broaden your horizons about how those stories can be told. I wanted to take a moment here to see if we could get some recommendations from you, Barbara, about uh, some of the films that you would suggest maybe a uh, a first-time visitor to the Gene Siskel might want to come see, or a first-time visitor to the European Union Film Festival. Uh, are there particular films out of the 60 that you would say, mu- this is a must-go? This is If you're going to go to any of these films, these are some that you should check out. Wow, that's a big question, because... Um, um... Hmm. What I would recommend to a first-time visitor might not be the same thing as I'd recommend to someone who's really, uh, you know, who's a little more experienced in seeing foreign films and is looking for something unusual. I see. Um, but let's Let, let's, let's go with the first-time visitor because uh, the first-time visitor is um, really who I'm interested in in terms of right, I want to bring yeah. them into the fold and say, uh, let's get you into foreign film. Let's get you into going to smaller theaters instead of the 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 megaplex downtown you know what's well and consequently the gene siskel is also downtown so just turn right. around from your uh your local amc and check out the gene siskel okay all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna start with a couple comedies here um uh comedies with an edge um there's a Belgian film called Emma Peters, and a uh, young main character is a young woman who is um, about to turn 30. She's an aspiring actress who hasn't uh, made it too well in Paris. Um, and there's some very funny sequences where she auditions for TV commercials, and uh, the, the 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 director satirizes very cleverly the you know the audition process. But anyway, Emma Emma's whole thing is she she's also working in an appliance store uh, as a salesperson because her acting career isn't taking off. She has decided that uh, her life is like a complete waste, and on her thirtieth birthday, she's decided to kill herself. But being a very uh, methodical person, um, she's planning, uh, she goes to visit a funeral director, uh, and uh, she's going to plan her funeral. And the funeral director turns out to be a very quirky, unusual person who, uh, you know, this is turning into a love story, but a very, very funny love story. Uh, you, know, uh, you, you wouldn't think that the the theme of a young woman who's decided to commit suicide on her 30th birthday is funny, but actually it's quite funny in, in the context of this film and the performances. Uh, both actors are, uh, you know, uh, masters 
capture the quirkiness of of their characters in a way that is quite charming and the film is is very funny very satisfying and has a very happy ending so um, that is Emma Peters. That is a, a, a mainstream, something that would, I think, would equate with a mainstream film in the U.S., a mainstream romantic comedy, but with a very different edge. And, of course, you have the advantage of the Paris location, which you see quite a lot of. So um, that makes it even more fun. Oh, my God. You've, you've got me excited. I'm very – that sounds like uh, right up my alley. I do love a nice dark comedy. Uh, that's that's Emma. So it's called Emma Peters. Emma, Emma Peters. And uh, another another comedy I would mention is from Cyprus, a very small nation that doesn't uh, have a very large output of films per year. This is a, a film that is uh, in um, uh, it, it's in Greek with English subtitles. It's in Greek and Turkish with English subtitles. And um, it's a kind of cross-cultural comedy because uh, Cyprus is currently divided. You know, this is a comedy with a political edge, and it's uh, also a satire. Um, Cyprus is currently divided between um, uh, Turkey and Greece, and uh, this is a political situation that's very contentious within this very tiny nation. But this uh, comedy... um, takes on the situation by uh, presenting uh, as its main character uh, a, a rock musician uh, who has decided he's about to emigrate and to to um, to Germany and he's got his ticket ready he's ready to go he's packed up his um, relationship with his girlfriend has gone bust and so he's ready to you know get out of Cyprus and on the eve of leaving his his uh, fluffy dog named uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, takes a runner and crosses the the armed border uh, between the the Greek part of Cyprus and the Turkish part of Cyprus, and um, he needs to get Jimi back, and so he, uh, this turns into, you know, a real shaggy dog movie, literally a shaggy (laughs) dog movie, in which... um, uh, Giannis, the musician, gets across the border himself by uh, sneaking across, but then when he uh, locates Jimmy, he can't get back. So, it, And then this turns into a sort of uh, weird smuggling spy comedy um, that spoofs pretty much everything related to the politics of the situation and has uh, also the great advantage of a really charming dog as one of its main characters. Uh, this comedy also has a happy ending, and uh, and it's uh, a whole different side of the political situation that, you know, I mean, I personally wasn't that acquainted with the uh, politics of, the, of Cyprus, but uh, seeing it in this particular light in, in relation to all these characters who are playing out the satire, I mean, it's really a very enlightening film, and it's also a whole lot of fun. Wow. So you can learn a little something about, uh, you know, European geopolitics while still watching a, uh, a dog story, a, you know, a dog caper. It sounds like so much fun. I'm, I'm very excited to see it. And uh, where else are you going to see it other than the Gene Siskel Film Center for the 22nd annual Chicago European Union Film Festival? Um, 
you know, this is this is such an exciting opportunity for any film lovers here in the city of Chicago. If you are new to foreign film, if you are, you know, a, a veteran of watching foreign films, if you just love movies in general, you have the opportunity to come to a fantastically programmed film festival right here in the heart of downtown. March 8th through April 4th is when it is running. And that's going to be over at the Gene Siskel Film Center. If you want to see any of the showtimes, head on over to www.siskelfilmcenter.com. Uh, Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time today. I just have one question. Uh, with the advent of Brexit from the European Union, will, will uh, United Kingdom films be taken out of contention in following years? Well, if, if Britain really does follow through and Brexit happens... Um, because this is European Union Film Festival, yes, Britain will, uh, regrettably be, uh, going bye-bye. But, um, we have, over, over the years of the festival, we've added, um, all the nations that, uh, you know, as each nation enters the EU, we add that nation. And so, um, you know, kind of by, uh, our own, uh, concept of the festival, we sort of have to, uh, take Britain out of the mix. But who knows? I don't know if Brexit is really going to happen, given the way things are going. But, um, you know, we started the festival with only 12 nations. The EU was uh, 12 nations, uh, you know, 22 years ago, and now it's 28. So um, the, the mix is always changing. So, you know, we'll see what the future brings. Such an amazing variety of film. Uh, again, the Gene Siskel Film Center is located at 164 North State Street. Uh, you can find all the details of the film festival and so many other fantastic programs coming up. Uh, I was so I saw that we have you have a program coming up uh, about Orson Welles called Orson Welles: The Other Side of the Argument. Uh, that's running through May seventh, correct? Yes, and that has the the very well known critic Jonathan Rosenbaum giving weekly lectures. Um, you know, he not only knew and worked with Orson Welles, but is considered uh, the uh, you know foremost expert in the world on Welles's work. And so, uh, this is a great opportunity for the price of a movie ticket to hear someone who knew and worked with Welles talk about his work and bring a lot of insight into these weekly viewings of his films. Who needs film school when you've got the Gene Siskel Film Center? It's a film school all in one, and you can have a lot of fun. Uh, you can also get memberships to the Gene Siskel Film Center. I did not know this. This is exciting. Uh, you can find all their showtimes, how to become a member, uh, all that good stuff over at SiskelFilmCenter.com. Uh, Barbara Shares, Director of Programming at the Gene Siskel Film Center here in Chicago. Thank you again, Barbara. It was a, a, a spectacular time talking to you. Thank you, Tom. Take care. Bye. Welcome back, everybody. Listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and as I mentioned earlier, Connor is out this week. Uh, we're thinking of you, Connor. We love you, and uh, we'll see you very, very soon. But I'm very lucky to be joined in studio by two fantastic dudes. I've got Greg Garibay, a DP of a new film, and also a good friend of the show, Nick Alonzo. He has written, directed, edited, produced, yeah. uh, you know, given birth to this <laughs> new film, 
Uh, it's called Decaf Don, and I, I don't know if that title alone will get you interested. Honestly, though, when uh, Nick reached out to me about the new film, he told me it's called Decaf Don. I was immediately like, okay, this seems like a movie I want to watch. Not only is it a Nick Alonzo joint, like mm-hmm. I get to watch a movie called Decaf Don. So, both of you guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. All right, so um, let's just start. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about Decaf Don. What is this film about? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, one phrase that we came up uh, with recently to kind of describe the film instead of like just giving it just a genre um, was calling it a urban um, satire. Um, And I just thought when I heard that um, the main actor of the film actually kind of came up with that phrase. Um, When I thought about it, it kind of made sense because um, the film is set in a city that um, where I'm born and raised from. And um, throughout the film, it's a little bit set, um, kind of a satire because uh, we're kind of making a comedy, but then has some like serious undertones while you watch it. Um, and I think it starts out humorous, a little awkward, but then kind of evolves into something that becomes serious and kind of like makes the viewer kind of you know think more um, from the start of the film. Uh, and it's weird because I didn't really want to make like a con- I didn't know what it was going to become until like I guess like the editing process but like while we're shooting it I think as we kept on shooting and doing like these scenes um I was a little bit nervous cuz uh we live in a city that's I guess like overshadowed with politics and uh Natural. Urban, well urban especially city. now yeah 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 and um I think myself as a filmmaker and even um as Greg as a filmmaker um it's hard to kind of like add your opinion on certain things instead of like, like I can make a blog post about something or a Facebook status, but I think as filmmakers, we're able to kind of comment on stuff that's happening and through film. Mm -hmm. So the film kind of, you know, does that a lot throughout the film. Um, And in a nutshell, it's focused on a uh, unemployed teacher who uh, gets a job interview. And on the night before his job interview, he kind of interacts with a former student of his. And um, one thing or one film that I was kind of like uh, obsessing over and like the format of was uh, my dinner with Andre. Yeah. Um, even though I'll admit I never watched like the whole thing so because <laughs> it's, it's so well, not even long. It's just there's so much going on. Yeah, neither have I. Um, Nick's actually showed me just like a couple clips here and there. So just yeah. so I can have an idea of like kind of the film. what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I realized like with my last two films is that I didn't really have a lot of talking going on. And I think, again, as filmmakers, we have stuff to say and I wanted to say stuff, but just through these characters and um, when people watch the film, they're going to see like two sides of a story um, and kind of see like opinions kind of go back and forth um, Mm -hmm. through these two characters. Um, Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I honestly think a lot of people are going to be able to like talk about it right after because I see it as like a a conversation starter yeah um instead of just a film that's just like oh okay people are just talking and you're supposed well, to react to it yeah and the last time we had you on the show we were talking about your your other film uh the art of sitting quietly yeah. and doing nothing which i think also falls into that sort of realm of urban satire even yeah. though it's taking place in the woods it's about yeah. a guy who is dealing with the immense pressure and uh frankly depression alienation that comes with this working urban life and his attempts to sort of remove himself from that so i i love that you're working in this sort of headspace i find that directors generally have uh despite the fact that they might have a diverse 
set of plots. They might have a diverse set of characters. They like to work in overarching themes. There are things that they particularly like. And um, I love your explorations of this. Um, I was lucky enough you sent me a a very rough uh, early version of it. And even in that form, it's looking great. I mean, Greg, I got to say, that is a fantastic looking film. And uh, I'm a person that I go on Film Freeway. I, I review, you know, I go through and I click through a lot of films on there. And um, it's kind of, it's refreshing to watch a uh, independently produced movie that looks and feels like I'm watching something super professional. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> That's a great compliment. Yeah, I mean, you deserve it. I, credit where credit is due. Tell me a little bit about um, yourself. One, how did you get into uh, filmmaking and specifically cinematography? And then uh, we'll get into a little bit about the look of the film. Well, I think in general, like um – Nick and I, like, I've known Nick for, we were just talking about it earlier. Like, I've known him since, like, 2011. So just considering, like, with the growth of our friendship, we've continuously just, like, kind of, like, stuck together and worked on things Mm -hmm. together. So with that in mind, like, I think uh, him and I really just, um, we we work, considering that we worked very well together, he knew that he wanted me to shoot this film. I mean, I also helped out on The Art of Sitting Quietly as well. So um, I actually went to Columbia College with no concentration. So I kind of, it wasn't until I left columbia that i was like okay i found out that i wanted to do cinematography so i started shooting things on my own and he was he was there you know supporting me along the way too along because i we have another friend nicholas ledge who actually shot the art of sitting quietly and i was there uh to just pick up a camera and able to get some pickup shots in there too again just side note another fantastic looking film uh, very much a, a work of a particular vision and a particular uh attempt to capture um nick's nick's story but uh please continue yeah. absolutely so like even like nick just like he told me all right we got, we got i got this new film that i want to work on we were already kind of like thinking about just like what we wanted to work on after the art of sitting quietly so he's telling me about it and of course i'm on board 100 percent. and just with with that being said like you know it was actually my first feature that i shot all on all by myself but like uh, along along the way, you know, like him and I would talk about certain scenes like, OK, well, I want to go for like this type of look. So just we would bounce ideas off each other. OK, let's do this shot. And honestly, like, I mean, I wouldn't be able to sh- shoot it without, you know, someone like work without working with him sure. as well. You know, well, and the director cinematographer relationship is uh, so integral to the visual aspect of the film, I think. A lot of people forget about the cinematographer and sometimes even uh, bodies such as the Academy Awards forget about the cinematographers and how important that is Uh, because, you know, it's been the sort of divining idea since the 70s that the director is an auteur. Uh, the director is uh, the singular vision of a film. If it says Billy Friedkin on it, um, it's a Billy Friedkin picture. It's not whoever his cinematographer was, despite the fact that that is a super integral part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, with this with this movie, you guys shot what? What were you shooting on? Uh, I shoot. I shot the whole entire film on uh, Sony A7. Mm-hmm. So that's a full frame DSLR camera, and um, it was actually the camera that I used before was a, a Canon T3i. So it was a big jump, for, a big leap for me to go from like, um, I was a, it was a big leap just from changing different camera companies uh-huh. and, and also just using, a, uh, I guess, a more advanced camera. You know? yeah. for, the, for the layman, how much of a jump in, uh, in quality are we talking here when we're going from the, the Canon you mentioned to the, new, to the new one? Well, the T3i, I mean, it's a, it's a uh, 
crop sensor uh, camera. So like going from that to the A7, which is a full frame, like full frame is every movie's shot on a full frame camera. So just like with that with that in mind, I just knew that like, all right, I, I, I love that camera, by the way. You know, I love Sony cameras. So like it was just... I was really excited to do it because I knew I even got a new lens and we were like, okay, well, let's test some things out with this lens and let's, all right, let's try this. And it was cool because like we would do our, our lens swap, you know, Nick helps me that with that. Uh, we used uh, handheld, a lot of handheld stuff, a lot of uh, stabilizer. I have a stabilizer that we use. I like, I like the motion that Nick is yeah, giving yeah. a little bit like, hey, <laughs> yeah. steady cam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with Greg, um, again, like knowing him for a couple of years, like I saw him grow as a uh, cinematographer and also a photographer. Um, when he got his camera, um, how I, like, it's weird. I don't, I just actually bought a camera today and it's like been a while. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's a nice little camera, but like my thing is that I, not that I don't like teaching myself. It's just like I already teach myself like how to edit, how to do other things. Sure. And when I saw Greg and, you know, saw him like at work, like teaching himself and watching videos and showing me different um, YouTube tutorials, it was really impressive because I'm just like, wow, he's like really serious about shooting stuff. And I'm just really glad that, you know, he was able to go through that spurt and like. Yeah, he was um, there along yeah. the way supporting me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the great part about working together in in the independent art world, whether it's in cinema, whether it's in music, is that it's an opportunity for everybody to collectively grow a little bit. You know, uh, Nick is learning some cinematography from you as you are also learning and you're learning a little directing from him. And uh, it allows everybody to kind of have a working knowledge of what everyone else is doing, not so that they can step in and, and you know tell you what to do, but rather so that there is a uh, genuine respect for yes. the art and the craft that is happening in front of them. Speaking of which, uh, what I something I really enjoyed about the uh, the edit I saw is that it is not afraid of color. Um, I've watched a lot of Hollywood movies. We all watch a lot of Hollywood yeah, movies, yeah. and uh, something that has been really uh, annoying me, but is also I feel like changing recently is. Um, we had this period, I would say, stretching from pretty much the dark night onward where we were super afraid of color. Um, and that's not to say that the dark night is not a beautifully shot film. It, what he, what he's going for, in my opinion, is Michael Mann's heat. It yeah. basically oh, looks yeah, like definitely. Batman. Yeah. If him and Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were robbing banks, yeah. <laughs> like I could see Batman being like, she's got a great ass, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, there was this sort of, pulling away from color and uh, shooting for something that was while interesting and thematically consistent with the darkness that people were trying to inject into popular film. Um, it really upset me because some of my favorite movies are super colorful. Imagine, you know, you, a good example for me is like, you know, the wizard of Oz. Yeah. Think of how much people shit their pants in the 1930s. Yeah. She goes from sepia tone to like, whoosh just a bloom of color and <laughs> yeah and in in decaft on i'm not saying that's like an overwhelming color but you know uh oranges look like oranges and yeah, like the blues yeah. look like blues and the gr the grass looks green yeah. and um i wanted to ask like how do you achieve that sort of look because uh sometimes i'll sh you know i'm i'm not a filmmaker mm. but i've seen people shooting film and when i was in college as a broadcast student we had to deal with cameras mm. and uh one of the things i always found is like everything seems so washed out yeah. i was just like how do i achieve a real uh sense of uh color and accurate represent representation of that color without having to necessarily do it in post which can come with its own problems and is its own art absolutely yeah um 
it's interesting because I think before I wanted to start shooting decapped on, I, me and Greg talked about like budget basically, and um, there was no budget practically, um, yeah. except like it's just stuff out of my pocket. Um, Thanks for feeding us. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and um, I think it was interesting because I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna shoot this at my new place that I'm roommating with uh, a couple other people. So that was difficult because it was like, hey, get the fuck out of here like i gotta shoot yeah, something. I gotta make this and, fucking movie yeah and like you know i had a roommate with a girl in the other room and like someone doing laundry so it was very distracting Quite upset. yeah exactly <laughs> um but what was interesting is that we did a lot of natural lighting and um nicholas daniel sledge who shot my last film um did the color correction for this film and he is obsessed with color like yeah. um i actually traveled to um atlanta a couple um, like almost a month ago to meet him up and do the color correction. So nice. it was in great weather, by the way. It was like 80 degrees. Beautiful. Um, great fruit, great food. Um, and we're just sitting there and it was interesting because, um, as he's doing the color correction, we're just kind of like talking about it. It starts to kind of have this like horror look kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, like if, like it feels like a horror film or like, um, it's a horror film or anything like that. Um, but looking at it, like a lot of the scenes that take place outside, it's a little eerie to watch, and um, I think having uh, Nick uh, be able to do what he can do with color kind of created this like really good atmosphere for the film because a lot of the um, conversations in the film like they they kind of become a little bit more um, deeper and a little bit more serious. So I think if the color kind of looks um, um, kind of has like this eerie look to it, it kind of makes the audience kind of mm-hmm. feel like, oh, okay, like this is getting serious and. Um, especially that last part of the film, um, especially like how everything kind of evolves. Um, I, I guess in a way you could say it's a little bit horrific, but not like in the genre sense of yeah. like, oh yeah, it's a horror film. Well, there, there's an intensity to it, and and it comes across in the look of the uh, in the look of the film, the choices of the shots, and um, you know, I will say not to give away too much, uh, but the film culminates in this job interview. Yeah. So we've got a former teacher; he's out of work. And, uh, you know, he has an interaction with an old pupil of his right before a big job interview. And then, uh, long story short, he's at the job interview and he has a black eye and and a very intense one at that. Um, And he's at this job interview. And I did feel that sense of not just because of the story itself, but the the look of the film, that sense of horror and kind of dread of like, what are they going to say? We have to give a massive shout out to uh, two two cameos in that yeah. scene we've got director michael glover smith playing yeah. like the principal yeah, yeah. and uh dustin Pueller yeah. as as mr Pueller. Yeah, exactly <laughs> and like shooting that was very fun i can uh, imagine that looks like you guys were having a good yeah, time. yeah and like uh it was interesting because michael smith was also a former professor of mine so it's like right i'm right. telling him what to do and he was just really in it and um um yeah and you know talking about like how how it looked and like how um you felt while watching the interview scene um a lot of that inspiration was i think like you know we've always had like a weird interview or job interview that kind of like went negatively um my experience is that i was unemployed for like a like a good like winter and when i finally got a job interview i was just like man like do i really want to do it and like i couldn't sleep most of the time yeah Um, because you're like if i fuck this up yeah it's like, like how long is it till the next one yeah exactly so i think when i had that kind of experience i try to evoke that into the film and i think it did a good job especially with, with some of the shots like especially like how the main character is like sitting across from them and like it's so narrow we, down yeah right exactly um so yeah if you don't mind me asking how much of uh yourself did you put into this because um i find 
as and the same with the art of sitting quietly and doing nothing uh there is an immense amount of personality in it yeah. there's i feel uh when watching both of these films to be in an, a, an intimate setting uh not just with the characters but with you nick because and not just by virtue of the fact that i know it's you that made it but i imagine that anybody watching these movies would be like i feel like i'm getting to know not just the people in the narrative but the director themselves um so i was just curious how much of your own personal experience you try to bring into these movies um well without spoiling um some parts of decap don um i think one thing to mention is that there is a part in the film that references something that i saw on the internet um and um it dealt with someone just having an altercation with another person and it became like this really violent disappointing disgusting and unnecessary unnecessary um (laughs) argument and fight and the thing is that like um as i get older and i have a four-year-old son who's about to be five so when i saw that video i'm just thinking like man this is kind of scary because like this is like it happened um the video that i'm referencing happened like right by my school which is a harold washington college on yeah lake at a starbucks and um i'm just thinking like man this is like scary because like in the future like if I like if my son witnesses something like that and like questions like, oh, why do people act like this? It's like now I have responsibility to kind of explain that. Um, so when I saw that video, it just kind of gave me like I wanted to say something about it, but I wasn't going to, again, post like, a, you know, a whole Facebook page. And like, well, I mean, what why waste uh, words on what we can say in art? You know? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's uh, one of those things where it's like. You know, there's. I feel like there's not as much of a premium put on. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's a little bit of both. There's not as much of a premium put on film. While at the same time, there is quite a bit of a premium put on film in terms of uh, we're having a lot of conversations about representation and the stories we're telling, who's telling them, that sort of thing. While still, there's a contingent down there who say, "Well, all movies are just fucking Captain Marvel." Like there, and and that's I'm not shitting on Captain Marvel. I'm just saying it's a giant blockbuster. It's trying to make 150 million dollars oh, in yeah. a fucking weekend. Like that's that's not cinema to me. It's movies, yeah, and and yeah. there's a place and a time for those. I mean, I even the other day, I literally spent like fucking four hours watching bad boys one and two because they rip Uh, those movies are awesome but uh at the end of the day i think we need to put a little bit more um stock into the art we're making and maybe try to filter instead of putting our thoughts and feelings into blithe and like curt facebook posts or twitter posts maybe we can say something a little bit broader something a little bit more abstract that Mm -hmm. gets more at the at the heart of the issue which i think through a good portion of decaf on i was feeling i was saying like okay this is not just about the incident itself it's about what are the circumstances under which this incident happens and who are these people involved Mm -hmm. um Tell tell me a little bit about writing the characters here and uh, forming these two people on this on yeah. the page. Um, so um, parts of it uh, was very uh, heavily um, um, improvised, and then there was a lot of good parts that were scripted. Um, I think my approach to it was um, Ma- Mario Anthony, who uh, plays uh, Rob in the film. He's also a good friend of ours who um, kind of um, – I met him in high school, always wanted to act. We did, like, little short films, and – He's also very passionate about a lot of the topics that happen or that are talked about in the film. Sure. So I kind of approached him and like it was funny because um, when 
uh, the artist sitting. I know I mentioned before in other interviews that I had to reshoot like the entire yeah. film. And he had a role in it, and I had to like kind of eliminate it, so I felt bad. So it was kind of like I owe you a favor. Sure. Um, so I kind of approached him, talked about it, and he was just really in love with it. Um, and then Dennis Episcopo, uh, who is the uh, main actor who plays um, Don, um, that required it was really it was nerve wracking because he was an actor that I saw in another short film. So um, I didn't know him that well. Uh-huh. And then I guess one time I did meet him um, at like an art gallery thing and I was just super drunk and um, <laughs> it was awkward. Cause like, I thought I was like making myself look like a fool and I'm like, Oh, this guy's not going to want to work with me. Yeah. Um, but then we ended up meeting up at a Mariano's. He was super tall too. Like, like from the short films that he was in, like, I didn't really get an idea that he was going to be like that tall. So I was just like, oh man, this guy's tall and a little yeah, bit intimidating. Um, but also like he was really, you know, a little bit shy, but we just started talking and literally the main topic was Kanye West. Cause it was around the time that he was lift. Um, he was releasing uh, two like songs of lift yourself and like another yeah. song. And everyone's like, oh, this guy lost his mind. And um, me and Dennis were talking about Kanye West for like hours. And then I started like pitching him the idea for decap down and kind of gave him like, what happens in the film, like spoiling the film for him. And he was just like, Oh, okay. So I'm going to play this type of guy. I'm down. And the reason why he was down for it was because when we were talking about Kanye West and a lot of like the controversies with him, uh-huh. um, we kind of like started talking about politics and certain people that are, um, 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 play big roles in politics. And like, uh, he just, he understood what I was trying to do. And he understood basically what I was trying to say, about that's what's happening and um as we were also filming like we would have side conversations about like oh yeah you know we, we feel like this and like we should talk about this because this is how we feel right now and like i know i'm being a little bit vague because i don't want to like spoil like, sure yeah i mean this it. is a movie that um everybody should be excited to see we don't want to give away too much of the plot yeah and um i think uh the one thing that was really difficult about like just kind of getting everybody on board was um definitely like during the last act of the film, um, uh, Dennis's character does say something that, um, again, not trying to spoil it, but he says something that most people probably don't want to hear in film. Um, and I think you probably know what I'm talking yes, about. Sir, um, yes, and um, Dennis, like at first he was like, okay, like I understand what's going on. It's just, I'm a little bit nervous. And like, mm-hmm. I think since we, like once we talked about it and like, it was, it was kind of cool. Cause it's like, we're making like micro budget stuff and we're able to talk about it. And like, I never went to film school and like, I know Greg has been like on short films before and like also on other big sets. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of talking about the scene. It's just more of like, okay, you memorize your lines, you show up, you do your lines. Everyone's there to do a job, show up and do a job. Yeah. Yeah. Versus this was like along, alongside filming it, we were able to actually talk about these topics and yeah. And And, it it was, everyone was like on the same page and like, it was a little like, weird too because like some of my roommates would hear the conversation and were like what are you making like <laughs> um but like it's also interesting because a lot of them are like people that i told about the film i didn't like spoil anything for them and then when i showed them the rough cut they're like oh okay now this like is really interesting because you're really like digging deeper here and um yeah it's just like everything that we shot and like kind of planned out and as we were editing and kind of like um putting everything together um without dennis and mario i just don't think there would have been like a like a film almost because right. like they, they really they had a lot of chemistry a lot of chemistry and they brought in a lot of ideas yeah. into the characters yeah well and and you mentioned the improvisation as well um dennis teaches improv okay uh, and he's been doing it for years and like 
it's funny because you would tell like he told me when we were finishing up the film he's like you know this actually you kind of made me realize like um like i want to like really do more acting um yeah. and it's like he's a little bit older than us and um it was just insane because i'm like dude you need to be in more things like i just yeah. think you need to find that like um that doorway to do like what you did in decap don maybe not like the same exact thing but um his talent with improvising things and saying starting sentences that i'm just like man he really is uh, understanding sure. this and and improvisation can can write a very fine line in film um I, from from what I was seeing in the film and the way that you're describing the the mood and the set, uh, it reminds it's very Cassavetes, yeah. Where it's just like let's do something more honest. Like we're we're gonna have words. There'll yeah. be words for you to say, but like let's let's treat it. They he almost treat it like a like a theatrical production. Yeah, and, and yeah. John Cassavetes had a, a pretty grand tradition in in the theater, yeah. but uh, you know he brought kind of that sensibility where it's like let's collaborate, let's develop the characters together, and make the show uh, together as opposed to being like yeah, just show up, say your lines, and then you're good. Uh, you know the George Lucas method, faster and more intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Greg, you know Nick mentioned that you've worked on some other bigger projects. What yes. what do, has your career in film looked like? Like thus far well I, i've had been i've had the great opportunity to be a grip on a couple of episodes of chicago fire and yep. the shy so that was really great just being on board with that but honestly like um just being there on set you know i really you know those those the people who have the more more money you know it's it's just the same stuff that we do with, with the micro budget team you know sure. it's like it's just i feel like with the micro budget team we're allowed obviously more creative freedom and versus like one thing that I realized that I was like, I feel like a lot of these people are just showing up to do a job mm-hmm. versus when we're all just together as a team, like, like, with, like with the micro budget team, we can just bounce ideas off each other and really just everyone is on board and everyone's on the same page versus where I feel like on, you know, maybe some other like, you know, big budget sets and yeah. stuff like that. Like, like I said, people are just there for job, for the yeah. job and for the money. And, yeah. Know. And I mean, there's a certain level of, uh, workman, workmanlike ship and when it comes to these bigger productions because it's like okay this is chicago fire this is chicago pd we're about to shoot like like a 23 to 30 episode season like we don't have time yes. for you to not show up and do your lines exactly how i told you to do them yeah. and um right. you know and there there's a benefit to that and i do love the the economic impact that those shows have brought to oh, chicago yeah. because now Greg can have a job as a key grab and <laughs> yeah. like and can uh you know get some experience their union yes. right so the, you know you're going to be working 14 hour days yes. <laughs> but you know they're taking care of you're being uh it's ga- it's somewhat of gainful employment for folks who are trying to work in this sphere which is uh as we've seen over time Ever, even since we've started the show, we I started the show with Connor to kind of capture. I thought we, we were capturing capturing lightning in a bottle. Wrong. I, it's a fucking storm. Oh, like yeah, it's a it's yeah. a full full on storm. Like two years ago, or two yeah or two yeah two, roughly yeah. two years yeah. ago now, and um it's only just picked up steam. I saw in yeah. the Chicago Tribune, um Cinespace has bought more land. Yes, oh, wow. and they're expanding, yeah, and that's like a massive that. sound. Like, can you believe that we have a soundstage? Yeah, in yeah. Chicago, one that can rival uh, New York or L.A. Like yeah. that—that's exciting to yeah. me. Um, when it comes to the creative aspects of this movie, what did you find to be the most difficult things? to work with um i know micro budget is very much doing more with less yeah. but 
you know, having a budget is nice. It's uh, it can be freeing in a lot of ways, even if it means that you don't have to worry about craft services coming out of your pocket. Yeah. But uh, tell us a little bit about creatively. What was really difficult? Um, I think uh, creatively, um, one big thing was to um, one specific scene again, going to be kind of vague um, when uh, Dennis's and Mario's characters sitting um, in the couch area or in the living room and they're watching um, a certain uh-huh. uh, video. Um, me and Greg and Dennis and even Mario, we talked about like, okay, what are we going to include here? And there was a lot of different ideas, um, a uh-huh. lot. And I think my issue was like, I don't want to put this out here and make it seem like we're trying to shove something into people's faces and <laughs> like make them feel uncomfortable. But I also told people like, Hey, if we're not going to do this, like, no one else is going to do it i guess or like we maybe have to push the envelope a little bit because um i kind of feel comfortable with doing that because i don't really see it a lot in film Mm -hmm. and i think because of how the conversation kind of evolves into that i just thought it would be the best thing to do is show a little bit of what we showed and um is it's honest yeah I think it's honest it's true yeah if, especially to the city if it pleases the court can we can we at least say it involves uh a police shooting yeah yeah yeah, oh, let's say, yeah. so because so that because i want i know we're speaking in very yeah, large yeah, generalities yeah. because this this is a really fun movie to watch uh be, when you're watching it unfold for the first time but yeah. um one of the major plot points revolves around a particular police shooting mm-hmm. and um I know that can be handling that kind of level of political heat yeah. is very difficult for even the greatest of directors. Yeah. Um, it's it's a delicate thing. And I think the thing is that what also gave me a little bit more confident is that I just think when the news does show footage from police shootings, um, it's always like this commentary or they're like talking or they have some kind of, uh, I like to say jabroni um, <laughs> on the... Uh, on the television just talking like oh you know this isn't and just kind of just shouting their opinions but i feel like in this way it's a little bit more subtle in a like it's not like you know a bunch of opinions are just kind of thrown out you it's like it's one side and then another side and it's a little bit more stripped down it's a little bit more focused instead of just like like reading through a youtube comment section you know what i mean yeah because it's so annoying when um you're trying to just take in the gravity of the situation which uh, this particular police, as with you know, with, as with any police shooting, yeah. um, it's it's hard to take in the human story when you've got some fucking lawyer yeah. talking over it. I'm like, dude, a, a a person is dead. Yeah, we will deal with the ramifications of this as as we go forward. But as of right now, a person is dead. Um, and that should be that should be a tragedy and however it happened um and i feel like with decaf don there's there's a certain level of sensitivity towards that idea of that they are watching it and they are taking in now the reactions are you know that's the that's the plot that's the character that's going on but at, at the very least we get to a point where we are watching something and feeling the gravity of it without the incessant um commentary i love jabroni some fucking yeah. jabroni <laughs> yeah uh talking over a, de- a dead kid yeah it's a yeah. dead kid yeah for the love of god yeah um decaffed on when when are you guys expecting to have it ru- pretty much finished well um 
to well, I guess we can announce this kind of. Yeah. Um, um, we're kind of adding something to it. Uh, the kind of not for duration reasons, but we kind of like had this talk, me, Greg, and Mario and Dennis, um, about adding something that could kind of. I guess um, really kind of complete the picture. It's weird because it was kind of a last minute thing, uh-huh. but I think for the best, it's going to work. And like, we're actually like, like adding that soon. Um, but we are planning to screen the film. Definitely. It's like a lock day on the 31st of this month. Um, we're treating it kind of as like a test screening in a way. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be at the out of space, which is in Berwyn. Um, the exact address is 6840 32nd street. Berwyn, Illinois. Um, it's not super out of the way, even though it's Berwyn. Yeah. Um, I like used to kind of hang out over there, so it's going to be kind of an interesting um, flashback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be an interesting screening. It's going to have like a really good turnout, um, judging by um, the people that uh, Dennis is bringing because he actually teaches the improv class there. Right. Right. And he's been telling his classes like oh yeah I'm come gonna, see this flick yeah Let's... he's also been talking to uber drivers about it too so like he's really he's like kind of like right. the motor well you like, won't you won't have a trouble getting a ride home after yeah. the screen <laughs> and, yeah and he also like he has really odd uber uh rides and drivers but like he always finds a way to fit in the conversation about like oh yeah i'm gonna be in a movie and it's cool because sometimes it's hard to get those like actors that kind of help you sure promote your stuff yeah. um but um that is going to be an interesting screening. And then we actually have another one set up um, towards the end of April, which is going to be um, through, um, I forgot, uh, 6870, I believe. Uh, oh, over at the new 400? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Wonder, uh, John, John Davies. Um, John Davies. He wants to do it through Cinema Obscura. That um, son of a bitch. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the plan is like once everything kind of gets settled down like on um our website that we are promoting which is uh, cluckfilms.com is going to have information about these two screenings and great um when people visit the site they'll be able to watch a trailer and also um see more updates on when uh more screenings are going to happen and other information for sure and you can you can you better fucking believe that we are going to be sharing that trailer when it drops oh uh, yeah for sure keep an eye out for it um Let's take a little break here. We're going to come back and we're going to do a segment that we haven't done in a long time. Uh, this one's this one's for Connor. We're going to get real. R-E-E-L. We're going to get real on a few different things. Uh, sitting here with Greg Garibay and also Nick Alonzo, uh, the DP and also writer, director, producer, editor, respectively, for those two. two uh, I mean, it was such a collaborative process, it seems oh, like yeah. that. Everybody yeah. was doing so much, so... Two of the filmmakers behind uh, Decaf Don. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment here on No Co Cinema. All right, everybody, you're back with No Coast Cinema here on WGM Plus, your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and uh, right now it's for it's time for one of my favorite segments. Uh, we haven't done this in a while. I, it's been a minute. Uh, we're going to get real. That's R-E-E-L. We're going to get real on some movie topics, just some movie opinions, our hot takes on various things. Maybe maybe not so hot on other things, maybe medium, a mild take, but uh, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? Uh, one of the things we were talking about before we hopped on on air here on the podcast was uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, and his latest Netflix film, High Flying Bird, 
which um, maybe it's because I was watching it while folding laundry and I wasn't fully paying attention, (laughs) but it seemed like uh, a movie that had a little bit of a uh, murky plot in terms of what was going on. But what I gathered was it tells the story of an NBA lockout, a fictional NBA lockout, and one uh, kind of a sports agent that's the word yeah, yeah. uh one sports agent who is trying to help his client uh through this lockout and ends up becoming a disruptor of the sports system and of the nba and all this kind of stuff and uh i, th- I found it to be an incredibly interesting movie it's big claim to fame of sorts other than being directed by steven soderbergh is that it was entirely shot on iphone which is uh not something he new to him i believe he shot unsane with claire foy entirely on the iphone but um i i I wanted to get your guys opinion specifically greg i wanted to get your opinion about shooting an entire feature on a phone um again this is not new either for soderbergh with unsane or sean baker who shot tangerine entirely on a a few different iphone fives um, what are what are your thoughts on this sort of type of almost guerrilla filmmaking in a way? Honestly, <clears throat> I mean, like I, I, I kind of like it to be honest because, like, I feel like when it comes to just us being micro budget filmmakers as well, like, I mean, like we kind of you kind of use the resources that you got. Mm-hmm. So it's like not not saying that they all they they just you know they didn't have access to like Ari Alexas or red you know cameras and stuff like that, but like I feel like. I sometimes like to shoot things on my iPhone video specifically yeah. and, and things like that. Like I've, I've used footage from my iPhone to post on like, you know, for certain things. And I just think, I think it's actually kind of cool. I think it's interesting. I don't think there's necessarily like anything like wrong with it. No. I, I think that it's kind of particular. It's like using any sort of camera. Exactly. You're going to choose it because of its particular qualities. Like right. the iPhone has, has a look and high flying bird can now distinguish itself by not looking like anything else, it looks like different. It's mm-hmm. got a, it's got the, uh, I don't know what the effect is called, but you know when it's like you have a frame and it, cur- the closer you get to the edges, the more it curves. Right. Um, it's got kind of that look too. I know there's yeah. a, there's like a, like a, a fisheye type thing. Yeah, but oh, it's like the natural quality of shooting on a certain type of uh, plane uh, uh, of existence. Oh, it, oh is it anaerobic? anamorphic yeah 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 i think it's got like a certain anamorphic quality to it and it looks really cool yeah um so you have so you've shot stuff on iphone and been like yeah no this is like i I want i would release this i would show this to people to be honest yes like i I do a lot of like um a lot of work with like you know like rappers and work on music videos and stuff like that and shoot things like that and there's been times where i was at shows or i just was like all right well i don't have my camera or i don't want to carry this big my 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 bigger camera with me i'll just pull out my iphone and start getting some footage and considering that like they can record on 4k too it's pretty cool you know i mean it's not the best it won't be the best quality or won't look like my my sony a7 or anything like that but i mean there's I think it's definitely useful, and you can get a lot of really nice things out of it. Well, and it, it creates a sort of look of uh, what people are used to now because a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that people are watching is uh, shot kind of just on the fly. It's shot by their friends on Snapchat or right. on uh, Instagram Live or what have you. So it's if you're looking to capture something that looks like 2019, 
it would probably be through the lens of an iPhone X or something to that effect. Uh, Nick, you as a as a writer and director, would you ever want to shoot something like that? Um, we talked about yeah. some future projects that we're trying to shoot um, specifically this year, um, and I was talking about like, oh, hey, what if we save some money and shot something on and, an and, iPhone? And there's so many tools that you can use now. Too. Yeah, I mean, you can you, you can put your phone on a on a on a on a stabilizer. You know? Yeah, I've seen that. And I, I kind of just want to get one. Just I, <laughs> I think one thing also where I think if like Greg was to shoot something on an iPhone and why it would work is that Greg also knows how like you know the iPhone um, camera works. And like I, I'll be honest, I've seen people like. Uh, I think the other day I saw someone shooting something on a stabilizer with their iPhone. It didn't look like they knew what they were doing. Cause, like, yeah. But well, you camera... can change exposure settings now yeah. on an iPhone. Yeah, you've, Even... got, you've got the deep knowledge, Greg. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and, like, the other thing is that with Soderbergh, what I think why it works for him and also with Sean Baker is that they're, like, they have shot stuff um, on film and, you know, on other um, – different types of cameras before well, you know sean ba- baker directed a couple things before uh tangerine i haven't uh-huh. actually seen it but even the florida project also was like such a like from tangerine to the florida project was just like to me like a big jump because like i i really love the florida project especially Tear- like, literally tears every time yeah, yeah. exactly and um with like soderberg like um i'm like a huge fan of the oceans trilogy and also contagion i have like an obsession with contagion <laughs> it's not like the greatest movie in the world but i just i like the um the ensemble like aspect yeah, of it it's very cool yeah and um but like seeing him like direct uh unsane which i thought there was a lot of like interesting like um uh, a lot of interesting ways that he like was able to make the film just not feel like oh I'm watching a film shot on the iPhone because I think that's a gimmicky thing with like like you with uh, YouTube short films or like Vimeo short films that they're like oh it's cool because I'm shooting on an iPhone and like, like you know people are doing it and like I'm doing <laughs> yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool but with Soderbergh especially with High Flying Bird like and I'll admit I wasn't really following everything and like it's weird because I was actually sitting down on a couch like trying to watch it yeah the plot was a little bit impenetrable at points and I think it's because of my lack of working knowledge of the NBA as an organization yeah no I, I, I definitely agree and like I, <laughs> I like I think after it I wanted to learn more about it and I probably would watch it again but also like a random not a random cast but like when I saw Zachary Quinto I was like oh hey Zachary but like, you could barely see him so I thought that was kind of cool and like a little intentional because like it made him look like a little uh ominous yeah exactly yeah um and watching high flying bird is just like there's like it's like a i think soderbergh does a good job with um taking it to the new level and like and also i think also what kind of um, takes a good um role in it is uh the story or whatever story they're trying to tell because i also feel like with iphone films before a lot of them were just like horror um, oriented and like, sure. it's like, Oh, found footage. I, I meant found footage, horror films. Uh-huh. Um, and I feel like with those, it's just like, it's genre and it's gimmicky, but like with like unsane, it's a little bit more like art house horror and like, yeah. And then high flying bird is, is a drama. Yeah. It's just a drama. Yeah. It's and it looks cool. nice. Yeah. It does look nice. And there, there are definitely parts of it that I was just like, shit, will this yeah. make, well, it, it even made someone like myself who has, not really like particular aspirations of being a filmmaker, but I was like, yeah, now if I had an idea in my head and I felt like, you know what? I want to take a couple weekends aside to shoot something really short. It would look good. It wouldn't look like I was shooting it. Uh, like when I was growing up, (laughs) we'd shoot like my dad, the coolest thing he had was like, you know, the flip video camera. I was like, wow, this is fucking amazing. It looks like shit. Greg was on that. First camera. Was it it a flip video camera? Mine was an insignia. 
um nice AC cam, but like the screen popped out yeah, and like no. i was vlogging and oh, i man. like hit it against a wall oh, and like it like it didn't no. snap completely but like the screen wasn't working i was like what the fuck like, and it was like it was like a 40 dollar <laughs> camera like from walmart Still, and like yeah. that's a heartbreaker though yeah that's yeah. a fucking heartbreaker yeah. so uh high flying bird i i would say watch it just for the uh watch it for the culture yeah watch it because it's uh one but, of the um, Bill Duke is also. Oh yeah 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 yeah. 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 Uh, I love the. I really really enjoyed the bit where uh, they're talking to the uh, the female sports agent and she mentioned slavery yeah. and he's like, oh yeah, you can't say that. And uh, and what does Bill Duke say? He's like, you can't mention the uh, the ownership of another human being without saying like, I love uh, God loves all black people. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's like a really great character moment yeah. and a really great moment for the film because i'm just like that is the type of coach that bill duke is yeah. in this movie he's like very much for the advancement of the kids he works with and uh i really i really enjoyed that and i wonder if was that a could have been a callback to jerry Maguire? yeah maybe yeah maybe, maybe yeah. that's just like my pop culture fried yeah. brain where i'm just like everything is a callback yeah. to something else but the uh imagine that there was a point in time what 1995 when people were sitting in theaters watching tom cruise scream at the top of his lungs <laughs> i love black people <laughs> amazing good yeah. for uh, no one could call tom cruise a racist now yeah right yeah exactly <laughs> that's why he did it that yeah. sly son yeah. of a bitch yeah all right um we were also talking a little bit about Bohemian Rhapsody for a second here. And I know I don't want to bring up old harsh feelings. Um, I got to say Rami Malek, uh, the safest choice yeah. for that Oscar really yeah. um, for doing, um, I'm sure an immense amount of physical work, but in terms of the performance really did not super impress me. Yeah. Um, it was to me, it was akin to Allison Janney playing Tanya Harding's mom and I, Tanya, another person yeah. that won the, uh, Oscar. And that's not to say that she's didn't work hard on it or that it wasn't effective in the film, but for that one, it was the, really the dead heat was Allison Janney for I, Tanya. And, um, oh my God, I do this fucking every time the mom from lady bird. And she was also in Roseanne. Oh, I, what is her name? Um, oh, God. Well, this is why I have to have IMDb ready yeah, at literally right. all times. Lori Metcalf. Yeah, yeah. Chicago theater legend Lori Metcalf, um, who literally created a character around Greta's script. Like, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the Greta wrote the script. She has this idea for a character. But I feel like, and there's really no way of knowing unless I talk to Lori Metcalf or Greta Gerwig, Shout out. Hey, come on the show. Let's talk. But um, Lori really seemed to create a character around it and someone that could really exist in real life. She had to do it almost out of thin air, whereas Alice and Janney had that helpfulness of being able to mimic and uh, appropriate someone's mannerisms. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to get real on this and just say my take is uh, – Play, playing a real life person is easier than playing a character that has purely been invented through Definitely. a script. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Um, I agree. Um, one thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, what I couldn't wrap my head around, like I, I like, um, um, you know, I like uh, Rami Malek. Or, yeah, um, yeah. He, I watched a couple episodes of Mr. Robot. He's a cool. He's a yeah, very good actor. It's funny because yeah, he worked with uh, P. 
P.T. Anderson before, and he has a really in the in the master like yes. very small role. And then I feel like he worked with someone else that's like on the same level. But um, I always saw him like, oh, okay, I can see him doing more things. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard about Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm just like, okay, that's an interesting choice. Um, and then watching the movie, like it wasn't that like I wasn't a fan of his performance. I was just like, you know, it's I just I couldn't get past the fact that the film. To me, I, I said it was like two hours of just eating cheese. In my opinion, like, <laughs> that's how I felt, and I and like I just like I just wasn't a fan of it. And like it's weird because I'm not again I'm not the biggest Queen fan. Like I know their music, I, I know some of the stories uh, about the band, yeah. but um, it just it didn't feel like to me. It felt like like a, a movie that you could watch on cable. You know, it didn't. Oh, feel totally. Like, that's you know, that's like. Um... I feel like it, it doesn't even rank within like the best biopics of all time. Yeah. Even biopics as a genre have have a little bit of a problem. Yeah. And even the good ones. I mean, I, before beforehand, I've I've cited um, things like the Buddy Holly story is actually a really great biopic. Yeah. Pre pre insanity, right? Gary Busey. Yeah. Like Bruce, wow. Yeah, yeah. Like he's really really good. It does things very different. Um, Coal Miner's Daughter with. Yeah. Uh, Sissy Spacek is yeah. a really good one, and frankly, the one that was probably the de- the final nail in the biopic coffin, or at least that type of biopic, uh, Walk the Line. Oh yeah, go back and watch Walk the Line. Yeah. That is still a really good movie. Yeah. That's a great cable movie. Yeah, like you're switching around, you know, da da da, and then you get to FX and you're like, yeah. oh shit, Walk the Line is <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. I'll watch Walk the Line. Yeah, what part are we at? Okay, so he's done. He's doing the cocaine. Yeah, great. Yeah, right, exactly. the best part of the movie. He has a uh, Walking Phoenix. I feel like he has a lot of movies where he breaks bathrooms. Um, oh Christ, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like, um, yeah, no, Walk the Line is a really good example. It's, um, yeah that's um uh one of my favorite biopics i just want to looking up a di- imdb for a little bit of rami malik's uh filmography uh the master as you mentioned yeah 2012 small role with uh that pt anderson film yeah. uh the twilight saga breaking dawn part two jesus oh, really yeah yeah, yeah. He's oh, in gosh. that short term twelve, which is a yeah, great movie. Yeah. I love short term twelve. There's something else. I mean, I oh, he was uh, a video game character in Until Dawn. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he is in the Spike Lee remake of Old Boy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, I remember. Oh Jesus, Jeez. man, that was. I feel bad because honestly, though, I kind of hoped it would have been good. Like, I yeah. was like, if, if someone's gonna remake Old Boy, I I, I would have given it to Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, I think what, maybe Tarantino, but Tarantino doesn't do remakes. Yeah, I think what went wrong was well, just, except for Glorious Bastards, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, or all his films are kind of like remakes. Of <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, hot, yeah, yeah zing. There's your um, take. But um, yeah, I think what went wrong with the Spike Lee old boy, um, like it's just, I, I just don't think it was like, I, I think it, you know. I think it would have been good if it was just set in that uh, little room that he was in. Yeah, I, I probably watched that like the whole time, but like. I like Elizabeth Olsen, but like there, she was like really annoying. Yeah. Um, and then who's the oh Chartlo um, Copley? Chartlo Copley. Chart- yeah, yeah, yeah. I call him Chartlo. Like, Chartlo. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Is it, that that movie's like a mess? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, he's okay. also he's also in Need for Speed. Need for Speed. There, keep on going. There's like another film that I'm just like. Battleship. Ba- Battleship. He's in Battleship. Yeah. Larry Crown. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the night the museum because oh up. okay that's what yeah yeah he was the. Well, I remember there was a, a small like, and granted, this is internet controversy, quote unquote. So like every everything you have to take with sort of a grain of salt. But like I remember there was a, a Tumblr post going around calling out Rami Malek for playing um like a, an Egyptian pharaoh. Oh yeah, yes, and then yeah, and then everybody's like, dude, he's fucking Egyptian. 
Oh, that's yeah, like what yeah, Egyptian exactly. people look yeah. like, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing that I, it's an onion article and like, again, I'm not holding <laughs> this against, uh, Rami at all. No, um, no. but, um, it said something about, um, oh, he immersed himself as an actor ignoring, uh, Brian Singer's, uh, past. Yeah. Yeah. And like, <laughs> well, that's the other thing. Like it was like the only reason why I just thought Bohemian Rhapsody wasn't going to be good. And I guess because I had like a negative, um, expectations with just the how, like how much of a shit show the production was. Yeah. And when I realized that the other director, I forgot his name, but didn't get the credit. Yeah. Dexter Fletcher. Yeah. And I feel who we like, all know as soap from, uh, lock, stock and two smoking barrels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because like, um, he has that new, uh, the rocket man, uh, rocket man biopic coming to the Elton John. Yeah. Uh, so like there were some parts in like Bohemian Rhapsody that I was thinking like, okay, like I could see kind of, uh, like how people can enjoy this but i mean specifically one scene that i really did not like was when um he was uh in the hospital and found out the news about him having um having aids aids um he sees that um uh another uh like a younger man inside the hospital yeah and he just like does the chant and the other kid does the chant and like i like i I got out of my seat i was like okay like i'm I'm not i've had it i've had it yeah (laughs) and i understand like it's a I can see how it like could make people feel good, and like I think if you're like a true Queen fan and like you love the music, you're just like, oh, okay, I just want to hear the music, and it's yeah. big and loud in your face. But I just think as a biopic, it's like I didn't, I don't even think I learned anything about uh, Freddie Mercury at Not all, particularly. Yeah, and, and um, Greg, I, I see Nick is. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah going on. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I I'm talking from very like I don't I I knew there was even songs I didn't even know that were Queen when I watched them. I was like, oh shit, that was Queen. Yeah, and everything. So I was yeah. like, I'm talking very ignorant about it you know but like i mean i like the way it looked you know as far as like just the look of the Mm -hmm. film and and for the for the time frame and everything but even i'm nick told me a lot of things about queen and everything and and background just him being a a natural fan so with hearing like what he has to say and then also just like reading some things online and stuff i was like oh man it kind of seems like they played this movie really safe yeah it, it they really did in terms of not just as a as a film itself like just structurally it's very safe it's you know, it's like, oh, hey, what's that riff? Oh, it's another one bites the dust. Yeah. Let's make a song, and yeah. then they do it. Yeah, which uh, I heard they actually, um, I heard they like one of the band members went to go check out Chic uh, yeah. in the studio, and they heard the baseline for "I Want Your Love." I believe it's "I Want Your No," no, maybe it's "Good Time." Um, yeah, and I I read something that like they stole the riff from that because like whoever showed up from watching that set came back and were like oh hey i have this idea for a good yeah uh, song and that was how it played out so i was hoping i was gonna see that in the movie for some weird reason yeah but uh no and then they're like oh no hey i have this song you want to check it out i was like yeah "Yeah, yeah, yeah." we'll we'll drop in a little uh a little comparison comparison in right here yeah yeah so we can see uh, how similar it is um and and branching off of the bohemian rhapsody conversation this is what i I, will we'll wrap up with this is um what what are we doing with brian singer right now i feel like he's gone full um roman polanski where he's just kind of like in hiding um and but luckily for him he's not accused of a crime like he hasn't been charged with a crime yet whereas i believe roman polanski was charged with a crime yeah and flew flew to like switzerland a non-extradition country so that he can't be then his like uh judge die too yeah something weird like that so um, I'm very curious because this is something that comes up a lot. Um, we can even point to this this week. The uh, documentary Leaving Neverland was oh, released yeah. on HBO, and that's been quite a conversation starter about, um, 
you know, we live in, and I, I don't want to make this, I don't want to play into this as a buzzword, but it's cancel culture in a sense where it's like, yeah. people will go on Twitter and be like, all right, this person canceled. Yeah. Like, fuck them. We're not going to watch anything more from them. We're not going to en- engage with them anymore. Uh, it kind of happened to Liam Neeson, I guess. Yeah. Really? Um, I didn't even know um, that. Yeah. He, he may, he told a story about, um, essentially uh, a friend of his was raped and she said uh, she described him and described him as a black man. And his reaction was to basically troll the streets of a predominantly black neighborhood. uh, And I don't know if it was in London or something, wherever he was uh, basically looking to beat the shit out of the next black man he saw. And, um, uh, but as, as heinous as that is, um, there there was no sense he, i don't think a lot of the rest of the interview was listened to where he talked about how he's like i i'm not that person anymore yeah. that's like a regret and it's also rooted in the culture he grew up in i don't know if anybody if you guys have ever been to northern ireland or any part of ireland really it's not exactly a it's a pretty racially homogenous place yeah, yeah. um and the attitudes persist in a lot of ways all across the UK, like a lot of nationalist and racist attitudes persist, but that's kind of beside the point because, um, you know, with the Michael Jackson thing, you can't cancel Michael Jackson now. And this has been the sentiment of a lot of, uh, great pieces on this from various outlets that have talked about this documentary because he, one, he's dead. Yeah. So it's kind of a moot point in that sense. But also if you want to, cancel him you essentially have to um cancel pop music from the 1980s onward yeah because every single piece of pop music whether in its writing or its production or its performance is touched by michael jackson yeah now a person like brian singer doesn't have i would say that level of influence No. no but uh i think one one of the big movies of the '90s was The Usual Suspects. Yeah. Um, Brian Singer essentially helped uh, kickstart the superhero genre in the 2000s with the X Men films, oh, yeah. um, and he has had a certain level of influence on popular culture enough where uh, to try and cancel him would be kind of a difficult thing. So I don't know. I wanted to get your read on Brian Singer in terms of, uh, how do we handle his work going forward? He is slated to release a film, I believe either later this year, or early really? next year. Which yeah. One is, that's not red Sanja. I heard that was red, canceled. Yeah, red, I heard, uh, yeah. I heard something about it being canceled. I want to say that, but I might be wrong. Yeah. My um, personal opinion is that I thought he should have got canceled after he did uh, Jack and the... Uh, oh, Jack and the, and the giant, giant Killer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that should have been... Yeah, that should have been the last straw. But um, my thing is that um, when I read about it, and, like, I don't find Brian Singer remotely influential at all. Um, really? Like, I mean, like, I, I see how not, he shaped, like... Not in the... Yeah, but not as, like, a director. People are like, I'm yeah. really influenced by Brian yeah, Singer. And like, I, nobody's influenced yeah, by Brian Singer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think, um, I mean, like, again, like, I actually like X-Men 1 and 2. Like, I, I saw those when I was Solid. young. Yeah. yeah. Um, Superman Returns, you know, not, not, not good. No. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of, like, upsetting because... Um, like again, like I followed up on a lot of things about him, and I remember like um, a lot of stuff coming out, and then then randomly like people dropped the charges against him, and yeah. 
um they like really weren't specific of why and i'm not saying like i need to know every piece of information but um i think like handling him it's like i from everything that's been happening or like especially how he left bohemian rhapsody and like they never mm-hmm. actually said oh this is why he left and like um didn't like there, his company also get like uh, pulled out from I think Warner Brothers I something say. like yeah, that. Bad yeah. Hat Harry. I think yeah, that, that's yeah. Him. Um, I I think he needs to like just like stop making films, kind of take like time to like focus on whatever he has to do so that he can at least like give his side of the story or explain himself. And honestly, it's like like I, I, again I don't know Brian Singer. I'm not trying to speak directly to him, but mm-hmm. like you know like like be honest. Like you know like if you're gonna like avoid it and like I think you know deactivating your twitter because you don't want to have all this like negative stuff Noise, at you. Yeah. It's, 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 he's just hiding and it's just like you're making it you're digging yourself a bigger hole and it's gonna look bad once like everything kind of like mm-hmm. happens it's almost like mm-hmm. louis ck like yeah it, it was upsetting because it's like he could have done something before that article was dropped but then oh i'm gonna apologize because the article got dropped and yeah you know and i don't know and Again, thank you so much to Greg Garibay and also Nick Alonzo for coming on the show. Oh, my God. So much fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. All right. Keep an eye out. Uh, Cluckfilms.com? Yes, sir. That's where you're going to find out a lot of info, and we'll be sharing a lot from Nick as uh, we get closer to uh, being able to see Decaf Don. There's going to be some screenings coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Me and Connor should be back uh, next week. We'll see. uh, I will say next weekend. St. Patrick's Day, 2019. Uh, no promises. <laughs> no promises at all. But we will uh, hope that you have a very safe and happy St. Patrick's Day this uh, this coming weekend. Uh, we will see you all very soon. I am Tom Hush, and you have been listening to NoCo Cinema here on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. See you all next time.